so arrogant mm, and like, mm. sorry, Jonah, but you know, you haven't gone through like seven years of training, so fuck off. Yeah, yeah, and Superbad <laughs> wasn't that good. <laughs> Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fornasia. If you love our podcast and want to give us some support, make sure you're following Psychocinematic Podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. And check out our website, psychocinematicpodcast.com. For access to special bonus content, episodes, early access, stickers, and contribute to our regular fundraisers, join our Patreon. Starting from $3.50 a month, you can be the coolest psychocinematic listener there is. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that we're recording this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to their elders past, present and future, as well as any First Nations people listening to this podcast today. And welcome back to the podcast Michael Watson. Hello. How, how are you going? Now that's a loaded question now, um, but how are you today? Fine. <laughs> Fine. Not too bad. Uh, we've had a little bit of a hiatus since our last recorded episode, and I thought I'd bring you on the podcast today because it's going to take a little while to get back to our normal programming. Fair enough. Most people would be aware by now there's been a death in the family, which is our beloved Nick Fanasia. How are you going throughout this time, Michael? Uh, it's difficult. <laughs> in the in the grief, thick in the thick of the grief. Thick of the grief. Are you in the thick of the grief? Thick of the grief. Yeah. Feeling it. Mm. Yeah, we've had um, I guess celebrations of his life, one in Brisbane and one coming up in Melbourne. So. It's kind of feels like once that's all done, then it will get thicker in the grief, I reckon. Yeah, it is a bit of a weird feeling when you come out the end of the ceremonies. I guess it gives you something to focus on for a mm. bit and, and have his have him around mm. in that way. So when that's over and it's sort of like life as normal but without Nick, I think it's gonna hit it's gonna hit me hard, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share around? I have nothing to add. <laughs> but you talk about it as much as you want to. I think I think there'll be a time where we we talk about our experience of grief on the podcast a little bit more. But I think while we're we're thick in the thick of it, it's um the time is not now. Probably. Yeah. Fair enough. Which is a good reason also that I wanted you to be on the podcast today because if I cry suddenly, it's okay. I'll <laughs> just, I'll just, I'll just make, make sounds to mask your sobbing. Yes. Like, uh, 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 what's in the news today? And I'll spin my bow tie. And, uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to be like do some beatboxing. Like, yeah, yes, an ASMR to, uh, to drown out the sound of your tears dropping on the table. <laughs> kick off our regular programming with something that was extremely topical a few weeks ago has kind of died down since but (laughs) why not let's do it anyway we finally watched stutz is that how you say it stutz 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 i would have thought stutz stutz i don't know so it's the documentary that jonah hill made about his psychiatrist uh, last year, 2022, and it's a Netflix film. Uh, on hearing that that had happened, I remember when it first came out on Netflix, I had some, like, semi-erect red flags. <laughs> Just p- poking through my pants. <laughs> what 
all your red flags. Why would you make a documentary about your psychiatrist? I think anyone who thinks they want that's a good idea, and he questions it himself, there's something going on there. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the reason why we're focusing on this now is that there's been some leaked texts between Jonah Hill and his then-girlfriend, Sarah Brady, which highlighted some real toxic relationship patterns. And given that this film came out last year and this would be around the time that these texts were sent, it's a really good opportunity to delve into some of the psyche of this film in the context of these texts, I guess. Mm, mm. We don't usually do many documentaries, but this is a documentary that Jonah Hill really wanted to make about therapy and about the process of therapy, given what he has gone through in his life. So he's deciding to display that to the world. And now we're getting a sense of who he really is through those texts and where he's applied that therapy. So you can't not delve into it. It's just perfect for our our purposes. Yes. And I thought it'd be interesting to hear your take from a man's perspective, who I respect, who I consider a bit of a feminist. Thank you. I consider, I'm more than a, am I more than a bit of a feminist? Oh, I, I hope so. Okay. You hope so, <laughs> but yet to be proven. Uh, you know, anyone who goes, I'm a feminist, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also right. the fact that you're looking into doing uh, psychiatry as well. So yes. I thought you'd be very relevant for this. Hmm. Well, yeah, I do like therapeutic relationship stuff, mm. and I think that this is an example of probably a not-so-good one. Questionable one. <clears throat> yes, I think there's pros and cons, which we'll get to. Mm. This is actually the first time I've read the the, the incriminating Ooh, this text. Is, this is great. Okay, let's talk about the text first. So I guess some context. Um, Sarah Brady dated Jonah Hill between 2021 and 2022. She's a semi-professional surfer and a law student. She's 26 years old and Jonah Hill is 39. So she leaked a number of texts. I think it was about end of June and beginning of July that Jonah sent her when they were dating post him demanding that she delete photos of her Instagram of her surfing. So he was already engaging in some controlling behaviour of determining what she could and couldn't post on Instagram. And then I'm not going to read out all the texts, but the biggest, most incriminating text was him outlining what he called his boundaries for her. So I'll read that text for you. It goes, if you need surfing with men, Boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men, to model, to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, to post sexual pictures, friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful. I am not the right partner for you. If these things bring you to a place of happiness, I support it and there will be no hard feelings. These are my boundaries for a romantic partnership. So there were more texts that were leaked, which which continue to paint a picture of him kind of weaponizing therapy speak, as the news outlets called it, and um, people who made commentary on them. Definitely his manner seemed very toxic and emotionally manipulative and, frankly, abusive because he was also asking her to stop surfing. 
mm. which is something that he was she was clearly doing before she dated him and he had actually liked the photos that he was asking her to remove before they started dating so it's very much that case of I like you because you're you're wild and you're you're cool and you're free, but now I'm dating you. You can't be that anymore. I'm here to tame you. Exactly. Mm. Mm. You're mine now. Yeah. So give me your thoughts on the, that text. I don't like it. No. And I think the, the kicker is the last thing where, like, it's a, probably a, a good thing to be like, X, Y, Z, don't do these things if you want to be with me. I'm putting it up front. If that's what you want to do, Bye. That's a good thing. I think that's a good way to manage a relationship. But not when those things are like seek gainful employment, <laughs> associate with 50% of the world's population, population, and, you know, imposing restrictions on someone's body and, and freedom. autonomy. Yeah. And yeah. So it's a bit, it's a bit sick. And um, I do agree that it is trying to weaponize boundaries, which, yeah. Should we explain, I guess, what a boundary yeah, is? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, from my personal experience of therapy as somebody who's a bit of a, a doormat, boundaries is 99% of what I have ever spoken <laughs> to a psychologist about. I've also spoken a lot about boundaries, not in the context of, of being in a relationship with you. You're talking about my boundaries. <laughs> I'm imposing my boundaries on you. <laughs> So what would you say is an, is a boundary? How would you describe a boundary? I don't know how to succinctly. It's just like you need to know your values and what you need to be safe in a relationship or workplace or whatever. And when those things are threatened, you need to be able to say to the other party, hi, you've done this. I don't let people do that. Please don't do that. I think that I guess that's a way to describe that's, asserting I guess more your your needs mm. um, and your values. But boundaries are really not something you can put tell someone else to do. Mm. They're controlling your own behaviours. You can't impose a boundary on to changing someone else's behaviour. It's, it's for you to change your behaviour. Mm. So um, I've, been, I've spent thousands of dollars on this, <laughs> and I've got it wrong. <laughs> Don't worry, it's taken me a while to get to that as well. <laughs> For an example, I've came up, I've come up with a couple of examples. One would be like if you're in a relationship and to keep yourself feeling safe and protected in that relationship, you might not feel comfortable, say, giving a partner a key to your apartment until you've been dating for a certain period of time, like six months or a year. So you are your behaviour in that would be giving that key to your partner so that they can come and go whenever they please or whatever. Um, so it's your action you're controlling, not theirs, um, which would I guess would be an overt boundary. So, like, um, your partner might be like, hey, can I just get a key? And you might be like, no, I'm not comfortable with that yet. So that's your boundary that you're asserting there. Mm-hmm. Um So they're asking if you can do that and you're saying, no, I'm not comfortable. An example of maybe a covert or maybe a less explicit boundary or like a soft boundary would be say you had a family member or or a friend that you enjoy spending time with but they had a lot of needs, emotional needs, so they left you quite exhausted at the end of time that you spent with them. This is not a person in real life. I just need to make that very clear. This family member or friend does not exist in my life. Any person living or dead is purely coincidental. Purely coincidental. So if any of my friends or family members are going, is that me? It's not you. Okay. (laughs) Um, So 
after you spend time with them, your energy is really depleted. So you might decide to set yourself some boundaries around this person that you only spend time with them when it's only a short period of time or you're doing something as a buffer, like seeing a movie, or um, you make sure you catch up with them in advance rather than just last minute because you might not have the spoons or the energy to hang out with them if you're sick or like just mentally depleted and they ask to catch up you would say no to that request um, to protect your own energy. So that would be imposing some boundaries. You're not necessarily telling that person that this is my boundary. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're just putting some, I guess, rules for yourself around spending time with that person that they don't necessarily have to be aware of, which continues your relationship with that person but also protects your own energy, I guess, at, at that time. Because some, you know, sometimes you need to sort of compromise some things in that, like your own values of of having uh, being a supportive friend, but also your value of supporting your own mental health needs. For example, Mm. does that make sense? Yeah, it's like how I ghosted my dad. Context, what do you think Jonah is implying boundaries are in this text exchange? Well, I guess if you conceive of boundaries as something that affects your behaviour, that's not at all what he's doing. I mean, I guess in a sense, if she was to violate those boundaries, his behaviour would be to end the relationship. Yeah. So in that sense, it is a boundary, but the boundary can't be dictating how another person behaves no particularly when like that you can't anyway but particularly when she was behaving that way before they started dating Mm. and he accepted that behavior before they started dating and none of the behavior is it's not even behavior or hurting anybody (laughs) exactly it's really just controlling Weirdly, Vogue had a really good description of articulating boundaries. Vogue is good shit. What do you mean, weirdly, Vogue? I know. Just I don't think of Vogue as, like, feminist tomes. So they say, for me, articulating boundaries means accurately identifying people, places, or things that test your moral truth, personal safety, or emotional well-being in order to make the decision to either challenge the overstep or remove yourself from the situation entirely. They're not a way to stop your partner surfing with men or modelling. They're not a device to contain another person's actions to control them. And it's a really good article to read because it really um, goes through how it's a bit of a soft boy, quote unquote, technique of Mm. being like they'll argue your autonomy away, they say, with like logic and emotional upfrontness. So it looks like they're being really emotionally um, available and mature, but they're just using open speak to actually control you with that image of being emotionally mature. Mm. I think we know some people across the years who have been like that. (laughs) Is it unique to men? No, of course not. But I think there's a bit of a a trend, or maybe it's not a trend, maybe it's always been there, of toxic masculinity um, being sort of slipped in under the cover of being a feminist boy sort of thing. Yeah. Of like, no, I'm in touch with my emotions and I can, I want to talk about my emotions. But then when you actually look at what they're requesting from that, it's just the same toxic masculinity that's Mm. always been there. I guess we live in a patriarchy that's malignant and always finding new techniques to... New weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Interesting. After that text, she continued to leak some more texts as well once they broke up. I'm not sure about the timeline, to be honest, but it, um, it seems like he kept... Sarah as a friend for five or six months, but they had sex and things like that. And hookups. Sex. Sex. 
Oh, sexy ticks. Sexy ticks. Sexy ticks. And a month or so after one of their last sex. He had a new girlfriend. Um, they were photographed and magazines thought it was Sarah. And not long after that, she got pregnant and Jonah's now a dad, has a baby. Did you know that? I didn't. It was a very short period of time between those two relationships or at least between connection with Sarah and this new relationship. So she she sort of disclosed that he kept her as an emotion, close emotional confidant after the breakup. So she says, sexing, sexing me on July 13th, visiting at her and at her apartment in her hometown early August, and then waited a week till after she moved to Hawaii for law school to send him a text being like, by the way, I'm in a new relationship. And she has um, leaked all the texts that um, they sent between that, which I won't go through, but it continues that line of therapeutic weaponization. He gaslights her so much. Um, she feels quite hurt and used for that emotional reliance as well as the sexting before he, you know, moves on to a new girlfriend and he just denies all of that. And then when she sends him screenshots of like, well, this is the last time we had a sexy text, he accuses her of like attacking him and hurting him by screenshotting. And then she went on to leak all of these texts <laughs> to the public. So, you know, um, but it's very much painting himself as the victim and just being nothing but kind to her this whole time and just being a friend and just really um, questioning the reality and making her question herself. And men are, are very good at doing this. Not all, not all men, hashtag, but this is, this is a common theme in relationships. Um, I've dated someone like this. And, you know, it doesn't mean that women can't do it as well. But it was really interesting how she shared this with everyone and so many people were like, yes, this has happened to me and I questioned it and I wondered if I was in the wrong, but now I can see that, yeah, this is abusive and manipulative. So it's been huge and uh, doesn't make Jonah look very good at all. Mm. Has Jonah responded to all of this? I can't see any formal response from Jonah Hill, which is probably what his PR team are suggesting he does. Who knows? Seems like the best approach. Well, <laughs> in terms of avoiding, I th and and this is why we want, I want to talk about Stutz because he's just had a very successful documentary where he explains his you know years of therapy with one of the best psychiatrists in the world, and you know spent an hour and a half of screen time showing everyone all these wonderful therapeutic techniques that has helped him so much. And then these texts have come out showing that, oh, he's got some fucking issues, mate. Um, so what could you say? Like, I guess what he could do is apologise and say, I'm going to be better. But it's like, you just showed us how you're better. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And how does it reflect on poor Stutz? Well, should we go through Stutz? Yeah. So we're going to talk about the plot of Stutz. You know, it's a documentary, but, you know, a rough plot. Um, what are the themes from it? What do we learn from it? And what sort of reviews or criticism Stutz got? Do you want to read the plot for me, Michael? Yeah. Got off Wikipedia. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you, Wiki. Phil Stutz, Stutz, Stutzy, is one of the world's leading psychiatrists. He's helped countless patients over 40 years, including world-class creatives and business leaders, and among them many therapy sceptics. Directed by friend and patient, red flag, Jonah Hill, the film explores Stutz's life and walks the viewer through his signature visualisation exercises known as The Tools. 
That would have been a good name for this movie. As Hill sits down with Stutz for an unorthodox session that flips the typical doctor-patient dynamic, they bring the tools to life in a humorous, vulnerable, and ultimately therapeutic experience, featuring candid discussion of both Stutz's and Hill's personal mental health journeys alongside the light-hearted banter of two friends from different generations. The film beautifully frames the tools and the journey towards mental health in a manner that's accessible to anybody, whether or not they're actively seeking help. Thank you very much for that, Mikey boy. When we sat down and watched, I was like, Michael, we're going to watch Stuarts and it's going to be completely unrelated to anything that's going on in our life right now. Where was the trigger warning for (laughs) dual brother death? Literally this thing that has happened in (laughs) our life. Um, And, you know, that's on us for not looking, not me, for not Googling it. It's quite funny though. (laughs) Sorry, because um, IndieWire sort of describes it as Joni Hill finding a workaround to make a movie about his brother's death without making a movie about his brother's death, which is Stutz. So for the purposes of today, let's not focus on the brother's death apart from that it was there and it made us very sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the 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 deaths of both Stutzer's and Hill's brothers are kind of, you know, very much at the forefront of mm. the film. I would question, though, whether he is, I mean, I, maybe subconsciously he's trying to find a workaround to make a movie about his brother, but the very explicitly stated aim of Jonah is to share, I think these are almost directly his words, to share Stutz's teachings with others and to honour Stutz. Mm. And to, like, celebrate this man that he respects so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he, and maybe maybe the, we're sort of analysing Jonah in this way, but that's, you know, what he s- says that he sets out to do. Mm. Well, nobody else is analysing Jonah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've never seen Sorry, anyone. forgive <laughs> Stutz is good. So I sort of broke down some of the therapeutic concepts that Stutz uses, and I think a lot of people found this documentary really really useful and the way Jonah talks about, you know, you use these really unique concepts that are very specific and I just want everyone to know what they are. But I just really need to say, and they're part of a book that Stutz published with a co-author in 2013 called The Tools. But when you actually look at what the tools are, they are not new. They're not groundbreaking. Yeah. Very similar concepts to Gestalt therapy, narrative therapy, a lot of them very Jungian, some schema therapy concepts in there, and a lot of acceptance and commitment training stuff Mm. in there or mindfulness sort of concepts. Yeah. And Hill kind of goes, you know, I've been to therapists before and all they do is listen to you and ask how that makes you feel and they never tell you to do anything, but you tell me what to do. And that's that's unique and that's different and it's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's just a different way of doing therapy that there are lots of directive psycho- psychologists or therapists out there that do it that way, but not mm. everyone does. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's generally not what you're necessarily suggested you do when you, when you train to be a, a therapist. For lots of good reasons. But, yeah, he very, he's very dismissive of usual therapists, which I find annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit narcissistic. Mm-hmm. I found, even though he's likeable and, you know, I like the approach 
for mild to moderate high prevalence conditions. (laughs) Emphasis on mild to moderate. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) He talked himself up in a way that didn't really match how revolutionary what he's actually saying is. Yes. Like he's a bit of a, yeah. And it comes across as a lot of soft boy types that I've come across who will go, oh, I read this book and it's just blown my mind and just teaches me a new way and you've got to learn it. And it's like a little bit culty and a little bit it's got a flavour of little, the month. It's got that young, like yeah. new ageiness to yeah. it, but it's also just bread and butter. The regurgitated behavior the same feeling triad. Like <laughs> Exactly. I wanted to go through a few of the tools, if that's okay. Yeah. It seems there are a lot. There are a lot, but, like, they've all got fancy words and names, but they're not fancy. Yes. So, for example, the first one he says is life force, which, you know, he divides into physical body, others, and yourself, and it is literally just Maslow's pyramid of human needs, (laughs) uh, which we all learn about not just in psychology, just in life. Mm. (laughs) But he he says things like if you take care of the physical part of your your being, that will increase your well-being by 85%. And um, this amazing article, I'll link, that really goes through the critiques of Stutz's approach or in the film says like where did he get that from well (laughs) yeah look I don't I I read a conversation article that will link that um said it's like not that outrageous Mm. a claim but I mean to to say that yeah your diet and exercise if you improve those you do get better in some ways and you can go to a GP for that advice yeah uh and not pay for a celebrity psychiatrist yeah but it's interesting, though, because, you know, say Stutz's objective is to get you to 100% improvement in well-being, 85% of that is diet, exercise and sleep. Mm. So he's so not paying, doing that. He's, he's not doing that much. You're paying he's, a lot of money for 15%. Yeah, yeah. But also no one gets to 100%. Like no. That's not achievable. No. And how do you even measure that? Mm, you can't. Mm. But I just want to say that that is not unique. Um, no. Obviously, a psych- psychotherapist, psychologist isn't there to help you achieve physical well-being. You would go to a GP for that. You might go to a dietitian or uh, any kind of medical professional specialising in that field. But I will always in intake and most counsellors, therapists, anyone in that field would ask all those questions about their well-being in your intake session, looking at, you know, how's their alcohol intake, drug intake, coffee, how much sleep are they getting, how much exercise are they getting. You, you do that. You do that to develop a picture of that person's life and then go, okay, so, you know, it's also in line with your values. You want to get more exercise in, but you're not. Okay, let's work on that. Mm. That is part of it. That is very much part of, you know, if you're a good therapist, you would focus on that stuff. It's not unique to Stutz. Mm. Mm. So the other thing that he talks about is part X, which he uses a fancy word for. The term X is going to become out of fashion, though, because Elon Musk has changed Twitter into X <laughs> yeah. now. So we, we don't want to better, talk about like part meta or <laughs> part Uber. <laughs> um, which he calls, like, the part that blocks one's progress, which is just resistance. Yes. Everyone has that resistance part of themselves or, you know, difficulty transitioning. Yeah. That's not a new concept either. But so, but define resistance. It's just resistance to improvement to change. and change. Resistance to change. Yeah. There's a whole therapy modality that's all about that, which is motivational interviewing. Rolling with the resistance. Rolling with the resistance. Yeah, so cool. that, 
you know, part X, there's so much work that's been put into that that Stutz didn't create. Yeah, and I think we'll see this theme coming through is that motivational interviewing is very specifically about tricking people into doing what you want them to do, like quitting smoking and things. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Stutz's approach is... Telling you telling to you stop. Telling you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it, yeah. So he, he very much has really just cherry-picked a lot of concepts Which from a lot, a lot of his stuff. Which a lot of therapists do. Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. And, and it's it's probably a, a good thing. Like, you don't want to be married to one particular thing. That no, because it doesn't work everything for Everything has strengths and weaknesses. Exactly. And it's good to be holistic and flexible with your client. So Stutz may well have done that. Mm. Um, But it sounds like he's marketing all these things that he's paired together as a unique set of tools. Yeah. Which people do all the time. That's fine. Mm. The other, the next one is the shadow. I'm curious as to what you thought about this. The, The shadow is the inner part of ourselves that holds negative, embarrassing aspects about us, the aspects that we want to hide from the world. And Stutz got Jonah to carry in like a cardboard shadow Jonah, which was essentially just him when he was, he had a younger version of himself that he was embarrassed about. Mm. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, it makes sense. Everybody hates himself to some extent Mm. and self-hate is presumably based on an unrealistically negative perception of some part about you. Mm. And if you're going to progress in the world, then you're kind of going to be behaving in a way that you think is kind of antithetical to that that hated image of yourself. Yeah. So, you know, it's true. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. to an extent it's true. I was curious about how Jonah used that concept and I feel like maybe he could have done better with it because, you know, the fact that it was his younger, fatter self, he still seemed so embarrassed and it was very, very much about what he looked like. It was about his looks and his physicality mm. um, and, he, you know, he felt really, you know, his feelings were related around that and, you know, I just thought there could have been more around, you know, why does it matter how big you are? Like, isn't it about how you feel inside and try and love that part of yourself as well? And he just seemed to have a lot of body image issues still and not wanting to see that part of him. And, you know, if I was to think about my shadow, it would be the, the inner bitch you know, and the inner person who gets too frustrated and angry and doesn't listen or something like that. It's not really about what I look like. I just thought that was interesting the way it was conceptualised. I mean, you know, obviously now if Jonah Hill made Stutz now, he'd bring out a two-by-four printout of the text. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or would he be like, that's fine, this is the life force. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, you know, a lot of the doco was him coming to terms with issues with body image. Yeah. And... I, I, I thought it made sense mm. that that was who he would, that that was his shadow. I just feel it's like. It's quite superficial. I yeah, see that's what you're what saying. I, yeah, that's how I viewed it. I thought it was just a bit too, like, 2D. Yeah. 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 I agree. and But, like, I think that this film, despite giving off the appearance of being a, you know, 100% candid confessional piece, I think he does very much keep you at arm's length. Yes, the yes, entire I completely time. agree. And I think it's I very easy. And, and, you know, disclaimer, 
this applies to everything that we say today. I don't want to say to Jonah Hill, well, maybe that isn't your shadow because, you know, I have no right to say that. No, I don't exactly. know him. But also I do kind of think it, it's like there's got to be more to it than that. Surely, yeah. And, and there's of course- lots of things missing from the film that make you wonder, like, there's something else yeah, going on what here. What else is going on there? Mm. And, you know, it was recorded, it was filmed over two years, so mm. there was obviously a lot that ended up on the cutting room floor that we didn't see. So mm, mm. we're only seeing what they've provided to us. Yeah. Which is fair because it's essentially therapy on screen. Mm, mm. But, yeah, I just thought I, the shadow wasn't fleshed out enough. But, again, not a not a, um, a new concept at all. Yeah. There's also the snapshot, which, again, is nothing new. It's like the realm of illusions or the perfect world imagined by a client. That's very acceptance and commitment therapy. I, I wrote this down. Yeah, so part X is what makes the snapshot, which mm. is like the perfect world yeah. that somebody strives for but that's never going never to possible. be possible. Yeah. And that's what cripples you in the moment or hamstrings you in the moment yeah. because you're never going to get there, so why try? Yeah. Yeah. And I think... But that's a, is, this is an established thing, is it? Well, yeah, I think in terms of act it would be sort of that resistance to just being in the moment and, mm. you know, striving for something that you'll never achieve, striving for happiness, the happiness trap. Hello, that's a book about ACT. Um, <laughs> by Russ Hamlet. By Russ, no, Harris. Russ Hamlet. Sorry. <laughs> Russ Harris. You know, the more you strive for that uh, snapshot, the more unhappy you'll be and you'll be caught up with the shoulds and with the musts rather than just being and experiencing the now. Mm. So, yeah, very similar. Yeah. Which is similar to the next concept, which is the maze, uh, which is essentially when you're stuck in the maze and you keep going over and over a problem and going through like a mouse in a maze that never gets to the end, which is essentially what rumination is. So. Mm. When you keep talking over and over a problem and not actually getting to any solution or you, you can't let go of something, that is very much diffusion, getting stuck, which is an acceptance and commitment therapy thing. Uh, I mean, again, it, it, it all resonates <laughs> with me as true. You know, like you don't want to be ruminating on things that happened in the past and demanding some kind of different outcome or mm. revenge or something that's never, ever going to happen. Mm. And, you know, that's something that I do. So... It's nice to see some of these things discussed, even if they're yeah. not new. I think what concerns the author of the article that I read about it and also I agree with is that Strutz is like, this is what this is and this is the word we give for this and this is unique to how I conceptualise this. No one else knows this sort of thing. Yeah. It's like yeah. so many people have been given, you know, this concept. So obviously... It's accessible through this film, but it also makes it like secret and special. One that's like everyone, there's no secret here. We can all learn these techniques. But that's why Stutz is a celebrity psychiatrist. Exactly. He's got to have a reason to charge so much. Yeah. I mean, I'm skeptical of anybody who becomes this type of psychiatrist <laughs> who writes books and devises something with all these gimmicks and, yeah. and whatever. So, yeah, the fact that it, it he markets it as something exclusive and new, it's all just marketing. <laughs> and, yeah. and it justifies the price tag, which I'm certain is hefty. Hefty, of Exorbitant. Course. Yes. And look. <laughs> I'd actually Take like to money know. out of celebrities. Do I'd it. actually I like to know how much it costs. 
But I guess if you're watching this film and seeing, oh, wow, this really resonates, I really want to learn all these techniques, but I'm not going to be able to go to Stutz, oh, damn. It's like, well, if you just go to your, you know, friendly neighbourhood psychologist, that can probably do all this stuff with you. So, you know, it could send a message that this is an exclusive to, to get good therapy, you need someone like Stutz when that's not the case. Mm. Mm. Have you found out? In 2011, he was charging up to $400 an hour. Ooh. US. Ooh. <laughs> it's pretty expensive. It's very expensive. And that's in 2011 dollars. Yeah, so 20, uh, 10 years later. Mm. Expensive. Spenny. So the next concept is active love, which is essentially just compassion for anyone, even if you don't like them. Which, you know, it's a very Buddhist concept, but it's also involved in ACT as well, including self-compassion. ACT being acceptance commitment therapy. Radical acceptance, uh, which is like extracting the valuable element out of any negative context, which is essentially just positive reframing, which is a cognitive behaviour therapy technique. I mean, yeah, it's just like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger (laughs) or, you know... Silver um, lining. Sticks and stones may break your bones, will never hurt me. <laughs> yeah. Um, the grateful flow, which is listing and creating things that you were grateful for, which like has been was popularized by Kiki K. <laughs> <laughs> and grateful journals. <laughs> like it's obviously very unnew. Yeah. Loss processing, which was the last sort of thing they went through, which I he kind of lost me with that visualization scenario with sons. So it's like a visualization of letting go of something that you're too attached to, then something happens and you fall into the sun <laughs> and become a part of a universe that's made up of infinite suns, which is called the sun world. What? <laughs> but the, the aim is not to have anything that you're so attached to that losing it would mean you die. Like, Well, that's essentially existential psychology. Yeah, it's just Buddhism. It's just yeah. non-attachment. Yeah. Because... You know, the Buddhism is desire is the root of all oh, suffering. Yeah, yeah. Suffering. suffering yeah. Um, I, I'm a sucker for this young Buddhist shit. Like, well, it worked. People, I, I like popular. that visualization. It it's makes no sense, it. but I like it. <laughs> I just got a bit confused. Yeah, um, it was a lot. Yeah. yeah, again, not new. Yes. Yeah, so we've gone through the tools. Essentially, it's a very less structured version of psychotherapy. Um, they had like um, this article talks about how you know this chair next to each other, which is just very common. Therapy can be done in very flexible ways, and that doesn't make it new. It's quite frequent and long term, which always raises red flags for me. If you have to go to your psychologist, like it sounds like they they were once a week and maybe more than once a week, which is a very psychodynamic kind of therapy um, where you see your psychologist a lot more, which is very fucking expensive. No one can afford that. Obviously, Jonah Hill can. But also having that long term, like how long have they seen each other for, like 10 years? Well, he says that they've been seeing each other for five years. Five years. Um, And filming for two, so. So seeing uh, a psychologist. Seven years or so. Yeah. So seeing a psychologist that regularly and for that long, like to me what you want from therapy for your therapist is that they don't need you anymore because you've you fixed them no you're not going to fix them but you know they've developed their own strategies they're they're able to regulate themselves independently which is the tools you want to give them to be able to do which is the whole purpose of the tools that Stutz provides so it's a big red flag that 
they're still seeing each other after years and years quite frequently. And that suggests to me codependence, which isn't great. It's not good. I think we'll talk about codependence. Okay. <laughs> is Are we going to talk about it now or later? Actually, we talk about that next. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another difference in the delivery of this therapy is that Stutz is so proactive, as we were saying, like giving them actionable advice as early as their first session. And it can be seen as a little bit like cultish, like life coachy, like just do this. Come on, do it. Yeah. And, oh, it worked. Wow. I'm fit, I'm cured, like mm. sort of thing. And I think there's benefits in that in um, as you develop rapport, giving them a little bit of working on a little thing that sees some change or some some positive outcome to sort of help your client test the waters and see that, you know, they feel comfortable with you. That makes sense. But it sounds like that's all this approach is that proactive sort of thing. Yeah. And lastly, in terms of the, the way he delivers his therapy, the cards, I think visuals are great. I I used to use them in therapy all the time. Um, They can be really powerful to deliver a concept and they can be more accessible than talking at a client about something and helps them take something home and reflect on it. However, there's some criticism that it inserts the therapist in that person's life in terms of their style and their visuals Mm. and it could be more empowering for the client to do their own drawings, which is true. That would be a better way to do it. What are your thoughts on the visuals? Yeah, uh, you know, I've seen lots of therapists work with drawing and I think it's a really good, I, I think it's a good thing to do. I don't, I mean, Stutz's thing is that he has a brand and a product mm. and part of that is the cards. Mm. So inserting himself into the person's life, well, that that's kind of the objective. Yeah. But I don't think it's necessarily such a bad thing. My psychologist does drawings on telehealth and then they're gone forever and maybe I'd like to have them. Maybe you should take a photo of them. Okay. (laughs) I just don't want him inserting himself into my life. (laughs) So let's talk about the therapeutic relationship because there's a lot to talk about. Thank you. And you've been chomping at the bit. Here we go. So they're very close. They tell each other that they love them. Yeah. Um, Tell me all your thoughts. I don't know where to start because I have a lot of thoughts about this. And I think that their relationship is really inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And I think from the get-go, the fact that Jonah wants to make a film that A, is meant to be seen by as many people as possible Mm. and and B, is to honour his therapist, Mm. I just think that's bizarre. It suggests that there's already been lots of compromise of that therapeutic relationship. Mm. It's clear that Jonah knows a lot about Stutz that most people don't know about their therapist. Personal life Personal life, yeah. I don't see a huge problem with sharing a little bit of your own life with your client. I've shared little bits from my own life before, which is helpful to gain rapport um, with your client and make them feel like you've been through stuff too. Like you're not just some pleb that's come out of uni. Yeah. And also you're a human and you, you know, you can empathize with their experiences. Um, But there's a limit. There should be a limit. And you know, you've got, to, you've got to put some boundaries in how much you share with your client as a yeah. therapist because you don't want that client to feel responsible for your feelings mm. and to feel like they have to hold your experiences and your feelings because then that's the therapeutic relationship compromised um, and that doesn't give your client the safety and the, the secure space 
to be able to share whatever they need to with you because if they feel like they have to look after your feelings, they're not going to be as vulnerable with you, Yeah, which is the real danger in sharing too much about your life. And do you think that Jonah is, do you think they've crossed that boundary? A hundred percent. hundred percent. Because later in the film we start talking about Stutz's upbringing, what his mum was like, Mm -hmm. that his dad, his brother died, how he coped with that, how he got into medicine, I think talking about doing drugs and Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just stuff that a, a patient shouldn't know or elicit from their therapist. Not within the therapeutic relationship, which they're in. Um, Obviously, you know, if you've finished up with a psychologist and you want to, you want to stalk them, go for it, but you don't find out about their life. You know, obviously in this age, you're going to accidentally come across people that you might've done therapy with. Mm. I'm not saying I haven't stalked clients and you're not allowed to do that. No, no. But within the walls of therapy, You should never feel like you have to put your feelings aside as a client to hold your therapist's feelings. You pay them too much for that. Mm. And it's much harder for for a client to make lasting change and, you know, to feel safe with their therapist in order to sort of become vulnerable enough to then learn how to sort of make make changes in their lives or in their thought patterns, et cetera, in order to eventually not need your therapist anymore. Mm. But if if there's a to and fro where you're being the therapist at the same time, then it's really hard to make change, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, and Jonah definitely, they swap roles. Jonah yeah. becomes the therapist with Stutz and asks him the questions and moves with his resistance and stuff like that. And it's yeah. like, A, and- that's dangerous for Jonah being the client, and B, Jonah's not a therapist. Mm. So that's mm. actually quite dangerous for Stutz as well if Jonah just kind of fucks up with his psyche. Well, Jonah coaches him through reach, reaching out to a lost, a, you know, an on-again, off-again partner Yeah, and encourages him to pursue that. Yeah. What is Jonah's authority and professional basis for that? I mean, he it's fine. Like a friend or a family yeah. member can do, to, can suggest that to you, but it's just concerning to me that the relationship is such that that is on the table. And that's what Jonah is seeing it as, is he also being the therapist in that situation. They're Um, helping each other, therapising each other. And, you know, like I said earlier, I I don't want to delve too much into Jonah's personality but I also get a whiff of narcissism from him because, like, <laughs> yeah. he, he wants to be seen as giving Stutz a breakthrough. Yeah. Talking about that relationship. And, you know, he's not just like, you know, Stutz to Jonah, like, Stutz makes me feel better. Well, I'm going to make everyone feel better with this movie. Exactly. Like, and it starts to raise this question for me in a psychodynamic sort of sense. So, for background, they bring Jonah's mum onto the set. Oh, yeah. And I she's, liked that. she's been, you know, she, she knows what Jonah has been saying about her in session and things. And she kind of says, you know, it's, it's good for me to hear these things. And Jonah talks a lot about how her views on weight mm. shaped some of the negative aspects of him. He offers her some critique. When she starts to offer some critique back, he changes the subject with a joke. As far about as we're aware, banging her. <laughs> as far as we're aware, because it's all very heavily edited and it's very brief, which makes me think that it was a lot longer than what we saw. Mm, mm. 
But the question that popped into my mind is, what is Jonah's dad about? Like, where's Jonah? And, you know, I have no idea what the story is, but what is the story of Jonah's dad? Why isn't he there? Why is Jonah forming this inappropriately strong attachment to an older man? Daddy issues. I mean, and I don't know. It's very dismissive. but it, It is super dismissive and it's almost certainly not true. But Stutz should be able to recognise that that attachment is too strong. Yeah. And 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 I think once you get a whiff of that, yeah. you know, you need to step back yeah. at, if not refer on. Yeah. It's uh, like we said it in The Sopranos. Yes. <laughs> yes. Melfied. Like her boundaries were so strong compared to these, yeah. these real psychiatrists. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you're absolutely right because I felt like even though they weren't saying anything to attack you, like, you know, it could have been a lot worse. And I think Jonah's mum really handled it well. It just, it felt very, um, not triangular, like it felt unbalanced, the power in the room. And it felt like, you know, she could feel very confronted by Stutz and Jonah who have this weird pseudo relationship going on Mm. and then sort of pointing at her. And then him saying he wanted to bang her as a joke, like that was really inappropriate. Yeah, like it's funny. I know it's a joke. It's but funny it was to really watch in the movie. Like you know, I, th- I, th- I thought their little jokes, swearing at each other, and don't dump your shit on me and stuff. Like I thought that was fun. I don't and mind swearing. I, I'm a therapist that swears, and it often breaks a lot of the tension and makes someone feel a lot more um, comfortable. It's, with you. Yeah, 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 and and you know. I'd be willing to give Stutz the benefit of the doubt and say that he's recognised what Jonah's like and he uses that as a tool to continue their rapport. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, is it ever appropriate to get, say, somebody's mum or somebody that they've had difficulty with in their life into a session? Yes, it can be useful, but I think there needs to be a a balance in the room, I think. Mm. There wasn't. Yeah, like, hey, we made this joke about There needs to be a purpose and a reason. Like, there needs to, it can't just be like, let's just see what happens for Mm. the film. Mm. Um, Which also, you know, treads the line of, were we watching therapy in the film or were we just watching a documentary? Because, you know, was this part of his therapy? Every session that we saw filmed was Jonah being charged for those? Uh, next question. Next question. You know, yeah. and then that yeah. blurs the boundaries of, of um, ethicalness of this whole thing. I mean, I, I want to ask, and I think this is a really important question, and actually it's not. It's a really straightforward question now that I'm saying it out loud. Is it ever appropriate to enter into some sort of commercial venture with a client. You're not supposed to. And of course you're, of course you're fucking not. <laughs> you're not supposed if, and, and if this happened in Australia, oh you know, APRA would be investigating Stutz. Well, what about Stutz's other clients mm. who see him every day and then, then go watch this movie or are they uh, to Stutz say, don't watch the movie because, you know, it might compromise how you feel about the therapy we've been doing. Mm. Um, it, there's no thought of the impact of other clients that Stutz has. Yeah, which is why we don't go and broadcast our therapy sessions to the world. Yeah. Because that's I, a, I'd feel, I'd feel really weird watching my psychologist talk to somebody else. Same. I, but I think it's maybe just part of my I think I'm I think I'm just being weird. No, I don't think you're being weird at all. But I'm like, but that's my rapport. <laughs> Hands off. But that's the whole point. And 
What we know about what leads to good outcomes is it's the unique therapeutic relationship you have with your your therapist that helps you to feel better or, or for the symptoms to improve or for make, making life changes that are positive. I mean, I think that's and something... that is sacred. Yeah, and I think that's something that can be said in Stutz's favour is that I remember hearing probably you told me that if that trust is the foundation yeah. of the therapeutic relationship yeah. and, and even if somebody's practising Reiki or something that's, you know, the opposite of evidence-based, <laughs> if you trust and have a good therapeutic relationship with the clinician you will get some improvement. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, we can critique the theory, the 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 tools. Well, the tools are good. They're just not new. Yeah, yeah. But you're right, yeah, we can critique the, the tools and the modality, but it's the relationship that matters, which is clearly there. And, 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 you know, if Jonah is getting the benefit of just his unique relationship with Stutz, then broadcasting that to the masses isn't going to help them because they don't have that relationship unless they're forming like a parasocial type of attachment to... Which is very common with, these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, someone who's already in a therapeutic relationship with Stuarts could feel very uncomfortable about this, mm. rightly mm. so, I Yeah, think. yeah, agreed. But having said that, the concept of the documentary, I'm not mad about it. If somebody is encouraged to go get therapy from this documentary, that's great. If they're a fan of Jonah Hill and go, if he can do it, so can I, that's brilliant. yeah. If that misogynist can do <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And and, and I, I found some of the discussion, I was like, yeah, I, you know, this is good. This is good stuff. And I thought about it for a while and it reaffirmed some things that I hadn't thought about in a bit. And I was like, that's good stuff. I should, you know. Yeah. I found it helpful. Yeah. But it wasn't any more helpful than reading a book or actually seeing a psychologist. Or, yeah. It didn't break any new ground for me. Of course not. Of course not. You're an expert. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. But what did you think about when he broke the fourth wall? It was like 20 minutes into it. And was yeah. Like, Is this a stupid idea? I'm wearing a wig, so it looks like it's the same day, but it's we've been doing this over two years and what's going on? Uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I liked it from a documentary perspective, you know, like it reminded me of the rehearsal. You've yeah. You put the rehearsal he, there. It, it was... The rehearsal in Nathan Fielder was referenced a lot when describing that bit. Yeah, or like, um, like that, wasn't as good as what was that? Who's that guy who did the lockdown in his apartment comedy? Oh, Bo, Bur- Bo Burnham. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of that, like almost like an auto fiction type thing. Yeah, yeah. And and I thought I actually I thought it was quite cool, but. The, the thing that I didn't like, the thing that I found bizarre kind of ties into that going into business with your client. It just seemed weird to me that halfway through, I mean, yeah, the, the ethics of it is mm. fucked because mm. Jonah's like, oh, we're going to do this great thing. It's not working out how I imagine it. I'm starting to feel really anxious about it, mm. My this thing, this big thing I'm doing for my career, mm. but I can't talk to my therapist about it. Because the therapist is in on it. That's the problem. That's so bad. (laughs) And there's a point where Stuart says, you know, my life doesn't depend on this, but yours does. And funnily enough, though, apart from that bit, I didn't feel like Jonah was being exploited by Stuart. I felt like it was the other way around because Jonah was kind of the one in control. He was the Mm. director. He was making it the way he wanted to. And every time Stuart was like, let's talk about your brother. He's like, nah, it's about you. Mm. Eventually they got there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there is a chance. Uh, 
judging by the American Psychological Association guidelines about dual relationships, the concern is if you enter into multiple relationships that it could be exploitative for the client. But I'm also, you know, I sort of interpreted the film as being exploitative for Stutz mm. um, because he wasn't really in control of what ends up being portrayed. Yeah, yeah. But given that, you know, he pushes Jonah a lot throughout it, it could have been exploitative for Jonah. Yeah. But I don't yeah. really care about <laughs> Jonah's... We're mad at Jonah. <laughs> We're mad at Jonah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess it's exploitative if he charges 400 bucks an hour. Mm. It's almost like bootlegging his, his service, you know. He got a lot of money if he did charge during yeah. this. this <laughs> could retire. That's yeah. funny too. He's quite, like, he's 72. Mm. Um, so I wonder if it was like, well, I'm going to retire soon anyway. Mm. So let's do it. But he's he's written books. He's obviously somebody who wants to... Either, you know, a nice way of thinking about it is that he wants to share his strategies. Yeah. The, an alternative is that he wants to sell it and yeah. market it. And I guess, you know, he's he's obviously been famous for a long time. You know, just a quick Google, I get a New Yorker article from 2011. I, I didn't know who he was until this came out. Mm, um, but I don't know what I'm trying to say. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't listening. <laughs> that you didn't like about it that we haven't touched on? I think that it leaves out a discussion of severe mental illness. Yes, and there's no diagnosis mentioned at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which kind of makes me, you know, it, it kind of strengthens the case that this is just a life coach. Yeah. Yeah, particularly the fact that he says, you know, you know, he says, ah, oh, trust me, you'll feel better soon. Um, it, it's on me. Like, I guarantee you'll feel 100% better. Yeah. That, is, yeah. that he says that. Oh, I didn't like that at all. Yeah. Because you can't, you cannot guarantee that someone feels better, particularly if they have a severe mental illness. There's a mm. very, very good chance they won't feel better, no matter mm. how well they implement whatever you've provided them, because... That's how brains work sometimes. Yeah, um, I, I, it's really I, it was really narcissistic of him to say that. Yeah, it's dangerous territory. You shouldn't you shouldn't make that claim. But you know, I think he has a unique patient population. Yeah, of very wealthy, high achieving yeah. people, and um, probably Jonah's the sickest person he's come across. You know, like he's not seeing people who are so depressed that they are incontinent in bed or anybody with any kind of psychosis or anything like that because, you know, he's got his method. He knows he knows how to work with the mild to moderate anxiety depressions. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Yeah, that's totally fine. But he does uh, – I don't have the exact quote, but he does say that um, depression happens when you're not – using your life force or working towards your life goal, like you're, mm. you're being lazy and not you don't have a, a direction, which yeah. is really a problematic thing to say. I, it kind of um, disregards the clinico-pathological <laughs> the entire like, thing. entity that is depression. <laughs> and psychiatry yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. Is there anything we liked about it? I, you know, I, I, I think that normalising therapy and showing people what it can look like and casting it in a positive light, getting somebody like Jonah Hill who, you know, is really just 
in my experience, known for super bad, <laughs> don't really associate him as, you know, a mental health advocate. Mm. I think, But he has been quite open about, you know, he doesn't want to do tours um, for films because of how it affects his anxiety. Mm, That's mm. been a common thing that he shared, which is a reason why he's engaged with Stutz. Sure, sure. Yeah, fair. And he was in Man- Ma- Maniac, which is a little that bit was a mental cool health. Show. Yeah. Related. I liked that show. And I I liked the the fourth wall stuff just from a formal perspective. I thought that was interesting and cool. That doesn't help anybody with mental illness. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) Or maybe it does. Who knows? Was there anything new? Just just what you've already said, like if it makes therapy potentially um, more interesting to people who might have poo-pooed it before. Poo-pooed. Poo-pooed. I feel like this... This documentary is not made for people who are engaged in therapy or are therapists because, mm. you know, it's sort of like showing the magic behind the therapy, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the magician revealing behind, the tricks. Behind the curtain, mm. yeah. Mm. So there was no groundbreaking stuff for me, but there could have been for other people and that's good. Yeah. However, I am concerned that people will think, oh, I need a stutz in my life when they, yeah, and they then don't necessarily need a stutz. When they get can, when they see their everyday Medicare, like bulk build Working psychologists, clinic, yeah. yeah, it's not the same. Yeah. They, yeah. they want someone to say, hey, don't talk your shit on me. Oh, <laughs> shut the fuck up and do what I say. But that's not actually a bad thing that they don't say that. Yeah. In fact, that can be seen as a little bit abusive. I, I and, and But another thing that I liked about it was – even though these are things that you've criticised him for, he's obviously, whether intentionally or not, he has a breadth of knowledge about different therapy modalities yeah, yeah. and he's picked the things that he likes and that he potentially has seen worked mm-hmm. and packaged them all up into this one thing. Mm-hmm. And he obviously gets results with his very mm-hmm. selected, high-achieving patient population. And I think that's good. We don't know. Yeah, you're right. We don't know. We don't know. Um, He's been seeing Jonah Hill for maybe seven years. And And Jonah Hill's still. And yeah, let's get to that. Let's get to that. (laughs) But before we do, I just want to share how Stutz was received by the population. Psychology Today said that it was a great example of a trend in the therapy world towards more reciprocal vulnerability and transparency in therapy. And they believe that the therapist and client express love and admiration seemingly without compromising ethics or the integrity of the therapeutic alliance, which I would strongly disagree mm, with. Yes. But, um, you know, all right. It sounds like it was written by AI. Maybe it was. <laughs> um, but Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 100% approval rating, but it was only based on 20 reviews. Right. And it's 76 out of 100 on Metacritic. And, yeah, a lot of reviews were really positive about it. However, some of my, like, friends in therapy were like, no, I didn't like it. It was wanky. So, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, it, and I trust their opinion more it, than it's pretentious it's really pretentious but you know IndieWire is like this was more for Jonah than it was for us which I totally agree with he doesn't give enough of himself for you to think otherwise exactly yeah I think and he was in charge of what what comes out of it so he 
to me, he comes off as a real wanker. Mm. But, um, you know, he might think he comes off as like a really emotionally literate, amazing guy. And, mm. you know. And that's what he wants Sarah, his ex, to think. To think. Mm. And the fact that, you know, he becomes the therapist and Stutz is like, oh, I've taught you well. That was so arrogant mm. and like, mm. sorry, Jonah, but, you know, you haven't gone through like seven years of training, so fuck off. Yeah, yeah. And Superbad <laughs> wasn't that good. <laughs> I mean, on that note, another harmful thing is the fact that when you go to therapy, sometimes you're unpacking, upheaving all these. You're very so vulnerable. So vulnerable, yeah. Um, and it's really, really hard work mm. at times. Mm. You don't, you don't get that sense here. That and they're like, working very hard. The, the, jo- like, like I said, Jonah's keeping you at a distance. He's not doing moments, any. There's moments where I think the vulnerability shines through a little bit. But it's, I mean, it's he's he's the director. Yeah. You know, he's in charge of what you see, and I wouldn't want somebody to come out and be like, "Oh, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to be in charge," and then be like, "Oh, wait, this is hard. It's actually really hard. <laughs> this is fucking hard." Yeah. So it's probably it's a fairly unrealistic look at therapy. Yeah. After I said, well, that and you things. know, he admits like we've been doing filming this over two years, so it looks like it's happened in one day. Mm. That's clearly not what therapy looks like in yeah. one day. Yeah, yeah. At least he acknowledges. There's that. also a lot of silence in therapy. In therapy, mm. yeah, which you need to get comfortable with as a therapist, which is hard, <laughs> and as a client. No, when your therapist is being quiet, that's when you need to just say more words. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> to feel less Whatever. anxious. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about the context of all of this within Jonah's texts. Yes. So I want to preface this with two positive reviews that um, I think is very interesting now that we've seen these texts. The Psychology Today said that both men had distinct familial messages about being men that left them insecure about dating, and those revelations invited candid emotion and empowered action. And we find out that Stutz um, reached out to a love interest on Jonah's suggestion. The person reviewing from Psychology Today was like, well done, these men, for their renewed hope and confidence in each other etc this was like oh and then indie wire was saying that uh less about relationships but um stutz didn't need to talk about jonah hill's grief stutz the movie um to convince us that Jonah found a way to make himself vulnerable. And while the director might be wrong to assume that his film is an effective vessel for the psychiatrist's specific tools, it's hard to imagine a better advertisement for the overall effect they had on Jonah. Hmm. And I think we now know if we, if we want to take Jonah Hill's text as an indication of how well therapy is going for Jonah, then it sounds like it hasn't gone as well as we wanted to think from the film. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, though, because they never really talk about relationships. Only in the context of family relationships. Yeah, and the mum. The mum. Uh, which there's some unresolved stuff there. Yeah. And Stutz and his, like, uh, struggle to actually have a relationship. Yeah, yeah. So we don't know if Jonah has this longstanding insecurity or tendency <laughs> to, I mean, with, in relationships. I, I guess, you know, we can. I think we can. I guess we can. It's based on yeah, what we've right. seen on, in right. this film. You're right. 
I just feel like given the chewing and froing that we see in the film around vulnerability and the control Jonah had over what what they talked about and that sort of power struggle, there's a power struggle occurring in them. Between Stutz and, and Jonah. Mm. And that sort of friendly vibe. And then knowing from those texts that it sounds like Jonah has taken some of the concepts in therapy and weaponized them rather than use them to his own personal growth benefit tells me that that sort of friendly pseudo therapy client change roles vibe actually hasn't been a helpful modality Mm. because he hasn't done the work to me he hasn't done the work he hasn't become vulnerable enough in therapy in order to see the flaws in himself and see what he needs to do to better himself change those unhelpful thought patterns and beliefs and, and be able to give himself that self-compassion and resolve some of those body hating or whatever it is that's going on for him so that he can be a better person to others. Mm. And it doesn't seem like he's done that work if for him normal behaviour is controlling another woman's behaviour and calling that a boundary. If he thinks that's normal, then he hasn't done the therapeutic work in order to better himself. Yeah. But there's no evidence to me that they talk about that because Stutz's whole thing is, you know, effectively it's individual, even though it talks about connection with others and compassion for others. It, it really, Surely, though, they've a, been seeing each other for seven years. Surely they've talked about it at least once. Jonah could be that much of a narcissist. <laughs> Which, again, we're supposed to believe from this um, documentary that Stutzen has done this amazing work and his tools have been brilliant and look how great Jonah is. Yeah. But he's not. But, like... So what the fuck have they been doing for seven years? But... I just feel like we see that Stutz had a gap in understanding relationships with women. It seems that he was straight. I That wasn't clear to me, but it... They were talking about women in the context of Stutz. And it's something that Stutz didn't experience of having a healthy relationship with a woman. And in a therapeutic relationship, what you experience personally as a therapist should not impact how you provide therapy to your client. Mm. But because they didn't have a normal therapeutic relationship, it may have impacted the therapy that Stutz gave Jonah because he had that gap in understanding about healthy relationships. So he couldn't pass that on to Jonah. So maybe he fucked him over. So you're saying, like, on the available evidence of what we saw in the film and what Jonah has allegedly said via screenshot, so it's probably true. Mm -hmm, Seems pretty true. That there's a chance that Stutz's shortcomings in relationships have been transmitted to Jonah. Or has just impacted Jonah. (laughs) Or at least, you know, Jonah might have talked to Stutz about his um, interactions with Sarah or other people and Stutz hasn't pointed out the toxicities with them perhaps or how that behaviour is not, you know, healthy because we don't – he doesn't really talk much about boundaries in the – no. Well, that, that's that's what I'm trying to say. That mm. like, and, and you know, the yeah, he doesn't talk about boundaries. So for us to say that Jonah is weaponizing therapy talk, isn't we? I mean, yes, that's what he's doing, but we can't say that it's Stutz's thing Fault. because we haven't no, seen that. No, we can't. But it also this whole film is very boundary lacking, and Jonah seems to be in charge of what happens. Yeah. So. Hmm. But I I think Stutz's therapy is not really going to address boundaries or how to appropriately treat people because one thing that he says is that 
moving forward is the ultimate objective in everything. Yes, he does so say that. Do you, he says, do you want to be right or do you want to create something? And he talks about, you know, his sort of co-opted Maslow's hierarchy where, you know, you want your body to be working, then you want to be socialising to make yourself feel better and then you want to um, focus on yourself at the top of the pyramid. People are seen as tools to make you feel better. Yeah. You yeah. socialise with them to to feel better and you practice compassion towards them to make you feel, you feel better. better. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think you could make a reasonable case to say that Stutz's very individually focused therapy has made Jonah think, well, this is my girlfriend. She's doing things I don't want her to do. I'm going to tell her to stop. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. No, I'm just using my life force and moving forward and that's my direction. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess maybe is a shortcoming of Stutz's modality that it's not systems-based, family-based. It's, mm. not, uh, it's not a couple's counselling. Uh, there's no relationship element to it of, yeah. of how, to na- how to navigate multiple needs in a, in a family system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, saying that all out loud, I think probably it is a gap in, in Stutz's thing. But also I think, I, I do think that Jonah's probably a bit dysfunctional and narcissistic at baseline. Yeah. And I think. And the type of therapy, like the, the way I feel like maybe it's been weaponized is that focus on self for someone who's already thinking a lot about self, it's mm. just made him more it's narcissistic. Very enabling, yeah, 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 super enabling. But it not, might not necessarily need to be that way. It's almost like the really arrogant, narcissistic person taking therapy. We've seen this happen. Taking therapy that's really designed for people who've been through really traumatic domestic violent relationships, and taking on those strategies to therefore not feel responsible for anybody's feelings mm. uh, when that's an inappropriate use of those tools. Um, what they need are probably the opposite sort of tools of acknowledging their own behaviour and consequences of those behaviours and having being accountable for those behaviours mm, and mm. words or whatever it might be. Yeah. It's almost like a mismatch. I so agree. Mm. <laughs> I hope Jonah Hill listens to this. You should listen, Jonah. And also, like... Jonah, call me. I believe in compassion. I have compassion for you. Don't be a cunt. <laughs> Stop being a tool. Use your tools less toolishly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like another therapist who, you know, saw those needs in Jonah and practice in a different approach might have been more useful for Jonah. Hmm. Or perhaps Jonah wouldn't have been willing to consider how he conducts himself in a relationship might be an issue. So you are a therapist can only treat what the patient offers them. Exactly. And what now, maybe things have changed now that this has gone public. But maybe not being able to be as vulnerable as he could have been has inhibited that. Mm. 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 I agree. Big question. Do you think Sarah Brady should have leaked these texts or was that bad? Should she have not leaked the texts? I have my own answer, but what do you think? I can see your answer (laughs) written in all caps on the notes. It's tricky. It's complex. You know, I think that personal correspondence is pretty sacred and you should be careful about sharing it around the place but I think that it's right that people in power and I count Jonah Hill as 
as somebody in power mm-hmm. should be held accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% certain how much leaking text actually leads to proper justice for things like this like I think maybe it veers a little bit into sort of cruel and unusual I think maybe but I think people should be held accountable for the bad things that they do and I think he unequivocally did a bad thing yeah and it sounds like it sounds like they she wasn't getting anywhere with him Mm. but he didn't he didn't commit a crime he was just fucked But that's, I think, one of the big reasons why my answer is yes, she should have, is that we give men a pass for not committing crimes. (laughs) It's a low bar. (laughs) It's a very low bar. But you don't have to have been legal to be someone who should be called out on their behaviour, making someone, controlling what they do and making them quit their career because you don't feel comfortable about it is a very big red flag for somebody. Mm. And I think what she did by calling out that behaviour was making so many women and men feel very seen and non-binary people and feel very validated in what they have experienced and also reinforce that because we are so gaslit so often whenever this happens to us as the inferior gender so that we think we think they're right to stop us from doing what we want or for controlling our behaviour. And that stays with you and that impacts how you deal with other relationships and how you feel about yourself. So it has been really enlightening for her to share these texts for someone who particularly has purported to be very emotionally mature and therapized. Mm. So I think it was so, so important to share to the world a really important message that you can be in therapy for seven years and you can feel very smug about it and you can have this beautiful relationship with your your therapist and you can want to share it with others how important these tools were for you and how useful they were for you. You can go through all that, but that is not enough. If you aren't going to do the work and recognise your flaws and try and build on or personally grow, then you might as well throw your money out and time away because you can't just sit there and listen to words and go, okay, Yeah, that makes me better. It's hard work. You have to do the hard work and you have to be vulnerable and you have to acknowledge your flaws and sit with them. And Jonah didn't do that. The available evidence suggests (laughs) to me that he did not. (laughs) But you you can see the best therapist in the world. You can go to the best therapist in the world. You pay them all the money in the world. They cannot help you if you don't help yourself as well. You can even make a movie about them. But you can still be a piece of shit. <laughs> it's true. That's it. Is that the whole thing? I think that's the core of it. Fuck yeah, we did it. Did we solve the Stutz conundrum? The I think Hill we did. Problem. I think we did. <laughs> we solved the Jonah Hill problem. The Jonah Hill. This is the Jonah Hill we're going to die on. Yeah. All right. So, Michael, the last question I ask all my guests is, is there anything you'd like to us to plug? How can people reach you on social media? <laughs> the answer is... <laughs> Do you really? They can't. <laughs> um, you can try and find me on Messenger. <laughs> you can't. Um, I you have, can find you on Messenger. I have an Outlook. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Like, subscribe, smash that um, X button. Jonah, get more therapy. Jonah, call me!
This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.